From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok for another Game of Thrones rewatch episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening on Blue Wire. That's right. Blue Wire Podcasts is the home of Casterly Talk, and we are part of the Good People Association. And we want to thank all of you who have been supporting and spreading the word on Futility, the actual Game of Living Kickstarter. The campaign has been funded. We hit our goal, but that's not all. There's some wonderful stretch goals that we're trying to hit to expand the game, make it even more fun, wild, an event for the family, or maybe your friends. Check it out. Link's in the description, or just go to Kickstarter and search Futility, the actual Game of Living. All right. We had a lot of fun last time out, uh, and I was traveling uh, last week, so I missed an episode, but we had, uh, last time out, we had, um, actually, I didn't miss, uh, that's right, we didn't miss the episode. Duh. New York took, New York took a pound of flesh out of me. Uh, We had the House of the Dragon trailer. So awesome. So awesome to hear and read a lot of your responses to it. I think everyone, the general consensus is, we're excited. And maybe some of the controversies are in the rearview mirror on this world of Game of Thrones. They'll always be there, but maybe there's something to be said about a lot of people being like, all right, I'm ready to dive into this. The look, the tone, the feel, it feels like that show I love. The only debate I'll have, the only thing I I almost wanted to jump into Twitter, someone did comment like they're very excited about the series, which that's great. If you're excited about the series, full stop. Conversation doesn't need to go on. But they're kind of like, it looks like the show and the it looks like the book that I read taking a shot at the show and I, I I as we dive into another rewatch episode here we're going into season three episode seven the bear and the maiden fair I, I can't say enough but how many times I just think the show was doing its own thing from the beginning the roadmap might have been a little more clear and a little more clear to the audience early on but I don't think they ever really intended to be fully on it. In fact, one of the reasons uh, that we kind of could look at that is in this episode. We're going to dive in right here, right now. It begins. Uh, season 3, Episode 7, uh, Episode 27 overall, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, which was going to be called Autumn Showers, Autumn Rains at one point, Chains at one point was the title of the episode. The reason we know that is the main writer of this episode announced that on his blog because the main writer of this episode is George R.R. R. Martin. The third out of four episodes that George wrote for the show. The original air date was May 12, 2013. The director, Michelle McLaren, was a very talented director. Actually had Wonder Woman before Patty Jenkins and left the project with creative differences. We don't know much about that. Patty came in, did a wonderful job. But Michelle McLaren, very talented director. Cinematographer, Chris Seeger. Editor, Francis Parker. So let's dive right into that. George R.R. R. Martin, of course, uh, episode um, season two, excuse me, episode nine, Blackwater, uh, Battle of Blackwater Bay was George's. Uh, he uh, loved it. was part of kind of the deal. I want to write one episode out of every season. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that seems like a fair deal. But then after season four, he decided to move away from that, citing, uh, you know, taking time away from writing the book and doing other things. Well, we're still waiting, number one, and we can make all those jokes we want. But I always took that as a sign as George just kind of, and this is all me. George just kind of realizing this set isn't mine. This show is no longer mine. Maybe never really was mine. It's a property that I created, and it's an adaptation of that property. And you as a fan can take that 
as you will. Again, not these are not necessarily words from George, but you do, you go through all the enemies interviews and the enemies of George. Uh, you go through the interviews, and 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 I love go go to YouTube and just type up George R. R. Martin. There's some wonderful interviews. The guy loves to talk about this world because he knows it so well. Loves to talk about real world history, but occasionally he'll work things in, and sometimes he's. Um, very uh, open to what the show did in terms of changing his work or changing his characters. This episode features a, an important Shay scene. He's been very, very uh, open about how uh, Shay, the show Shay, might have been a little better than book Shay. And how he loved what uh, Sibel Kikili, uh took that role, just made it her own, and the show itself made, a little bit, uh, made the character a little bit more important. Still meant they had to get to that ending. We're seeing a lot of that form here in this episode. Uh, but George wrote that character for the show uh, very well in this particular episode. Um, and uh, the, Talisa, Talisa's a, a show creation, clearly not in the books. Uh, you got old Jane Westerling hiding out, doesn't even go to Riverrun, just gets married to Rob, changes the course of the war, and uh, you never really de- uh, deal with her. You never get to know her. Talisa is a character that we get to know, and we have a very important character-based scene here that uh, uh, George put together, Michelle McLaren, um, uh, Michelle McLaren uh, did an amazing job as a director. We're going to dive into the details there. But anyways, going to the overall picture, George. Even George realizes the show was setting out to do what it needed to do. And after a while, it was theirs. And the story I've told before here where he was on set and the directors, producers, everyone, Betty Alpha Weiss, whoever's there, had a question about the characters and they weren't bringing him over. And that's when he just kind of knew it uh, It wasn't his anymore. And, and that, that can make you upset. As a fan, that might make you upset. It's just not how uh, the TV production, film production works. It's also why he wanted to get out of that. And he created Games, Game of Thrones to be this, and Song of Ice and Fire, to be this unproducible show. Uh, after his experiences in Hollywood, writing in the 80s, most, uh, most uh, noteworthy Beauty and the Beast, of course. So none of this is from George. But if you look at the interviews, you can kind of read by this time, maybe he just had to step away and realize... They were telling their version of the story. And as longtime Song of Ice and Fire fans, that uh, might be something that's never going to sit well with you. I have friends of mine uh, who still, still very upset at Peter Jackson for the Lord of the Ring movies. Not the Hobbit movie, the Lord of the Ring movies. Upset at Peter Jackson for what they did to those books and what he did to that story. It's just the nature of book adaptations. Get ready, Wheel of Time fans. I know there's a lot of Wheel of Time fans out there. You you're up. You're up next. And going back to House of the Dragon, George is more involved with the show right now is what we kind of get the feeling. Again, that's not a HBO isn't saying, yeah, George is on set every day running this. But he's been listed as developing it, creating it. We know he was meeting a lot of the writers and those five or so pilots that were in development a couple of years ago. He had a hand in all of them, so he is he should. And I want him to have a hand in all of them. But I, th- I think with House of the Dragon, you're going to find – I. I he, I don't think he's going to be right now the episodes, but I think you're going to find the same thing. House of Dragon doesn't have five books to draw upon and to upset us and frustrate us at times. Uh, House of Dragon has a, a good solid chunk of, of time in this history book, Fire and Blood, and from other areas that we kind of know about the history. Um, I, I imagine early on it's going to do things that those uh, those pieces of written material aren't doing, and it might upset fans all over again. All right, maybe I've gotten distracted because I want to talk about this episode. But with George writing it, just made me think all this stuff because he wrote two very great scenes here that involve, uh, one, again, Talisa, not in his books, 
And Shay, character in his books, that he admits, yeah, you, you, they did more of that character and made it more real. So let's dive in. Uh, one thing to note here, though, there are two big scenes in this episode that George did not write, just the way it works sometimes in the world of TV writing. He did not write uh, the Theon scene, which we'll uh, talk a little bit about, and uh, it's, a little, it's an ouchy scene, and then the bear pit scene, which is what the episode is named after, so why George was calling it uh, Autumn Showers or Chains. This was not in the episode. Um, they, uh, Benny and Weiss wrote this scene and they put it into this episode and there was the last couple episodes. Uh, that's kind of what happened with these, uh, uh, episodes. Um, they, and that's how it does. You find a scene, you find a scene, it works better in, uh, you know, uh, the previous episode or maybe the next episode. Uh, that's, that's how it works here. Um, so another thing that we, uh, been tracking all through season three. Uh, season three is the, uh, you know, it's by this time is Game of Thrones is definitely here to stay. It's definitely a, a very popular show. In fact, the previous episodes, each one of them set a viewer mark. This one, and we talked a little bit last time out in season uh, three, episode six, which was a little bit of a slower episode. Uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, resetting the table for what's going to come in the, in the latter half of the show, latter half of the season. This episode had 4.84 million viewers. Eh, still good. I take that. Uh, but it's a de- decrease of over uh, half a million compared to the previous week, which is not about this episode. It is, as we talked about last time, about the last episode. It's just the way it kind of works. Um, that's still weird to me, though. If you're watching the show, if you're this show, Casually Talk, if you're watching it now, you're invested in Game of Thrones. You're invested in Song of Ice and Fire, and you can't wait to get invested in House of the Dragon. I just can't, man, three seasons into a show, just not tuning in the next week because the uh, previous episode bored you. It's not me, but apparently over uh, half a million were in that boat. Uh, let us uh, talk about uh, the uh, reaction then and the legacy now. I love kind of looking at these uh, episodes, uh, what they mean, what they mean to the story, things with more meaning. We'll dive into the themes and lessons in a little bit. Uh, so this is a period of time I had not read ahead of the show. As I said, there's a lot of different entry points into A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. My entry point was the show first, picked up the books. Season one, read book one. Season two, read book two. Then came to this weird point where like, well, I know season three and four seem to be kind of an adaptation of book three, Storm of Swords. Do I go ahead of it? I just decided, you know what, I'm going to watch the show as it uh, rolls out in front of me. I had heard of something called The Red Wedding. I didn't quite know. I didn't know what was coming. I I thought Rob was going to go take Cashley Rock, which, by the way, I almost did it right there. Last time out, I kept saying Rob was going to take Cashley Talk. He can invade this podcast anytime he wants. Sorry, it's just bad habit. But he was going to go get Cashley Rock. I loved it. I was rooting rooting for that. I thought that was going to be the big battle in season three, the end of season three. Little did I know, Doom was on the way. Um, also, so when I saw the titles of the episodes, uh, as they often do, where here's the episode titles for the season, I saw this one, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, and I text one of my friends, who's a, a book reader, um, a big show fan at the time. I said, hey, I can't. this episode's going to break my heart. Do you see the list of episodes? S- episode seven, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Very clearly, 
this is about Jorah and Danny, and Jorah's gonna die. And Jorah's my guy. I, you know, I love Stannis, I love Davos, I love Mance Raider, I love the old crusty guys, the old grumpy characters in the backgrounds here. I love Jorah. This is this is it. He's gonna go out, he's gonna sacrifice himself for Danny. I, I just can't I can't deal with it. And she kept quiet. She kept quiet. She had an idea, it was not that. Um, so I've went into this episode like just emotional walls up, ready to lose my man Jorah. That would happen a little bit later. In fact, I'm still staring. I'm staring across my studio at the Funko Pop of Jorah's Last Stand, the Funko Pop um, action scene with uh, Danny and him side by side, swords out, flames all around. I'm, lo- I'm looking at it now, off camera. You can't, it, and it's, it's getting, making me sad. <laughs> so that was uh, how I ended, how I went into this episode. Uh, and I was so relieved that Jorah was alive that I overlooked perhaps some of the obvious uh, signs that we were heading towards some kind of disaster and very soon with uh, Rob Stark. Uh, now, this episode, I, I've talked a lot uh, about season three being an, a, a season that uh, over time doesn't, uh, though I enjoy every season and I hate ranking them. And I don't, I'm a, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, so I enjoy Game of Thrones content. I enjoy Game of Thrones seasons. Season three, when I look back, like, I don't know, there's some things, that there's some big moments, and I think those big moments maybe hide um, just some of the, the weaker episodes of the show. I think there's still some of that there for me, but I've just had a lot of fun diving in this time around on this rewatch. I've rewatched them a lot, but in this rewatch, because I'm focusing on the themes and the lessons and what the show is telling us as it leads towards what happened in season eight. But watching this episode a couple times to do the, the notes for the show... This episode represents a lot of why I sometimes I have less than a sunshiny view of this season. Big moments, some of my favorite interactions and, and scenes, um, scenes that I reference a lot. And um, truth is, I'm just not pulled in as much. This was, if you look at the reviews back in the day, a lot of people, positive, again, positive. But it was, without a doubt, a peace mover episode is what a lot of people called it. Now, I fight and will continue to fight against the term filler. Don't think this was filler. I think it did just that. You are still resetting the pieces after some mid-season three action to get them in place for the pain and destruction that's coming uh, a little bit. This is a character study episode. And I think there's a lot of great character moments in here. And that's why I do love this episode. But I look back and look at season three and the Drakaris moment, uh, the uh, death of Jor Mormont, all those kind of big things. And even in this episode, one of the scenes I love, I think about a lot. But I think sometimes it can mask that sometimes season three just doesn't grab me as much as it did at the time. But again, that almost sounds, I always try to, don't lean negative. I lean toward celebratory. I lean toward engaging what this show, this episode, this specific episode is telling us and how it connects to the bigger Game of Thrones picture. But that's just the truth, and it's still kind of the case. Uh, I'd say this is, um, if I have to rank, it's one of my uh, lower-ranked episodes of Game of Thrones. But that said, it's not George R. R. Martin, and it's not Michelle McLaren. This episode had to be what it is. And they get wonderful moments out of it. Um, and that's sometimes it. Sometimes you don't have the big action. Think of uh, Irving Kirshner in uh, Star Wars World, Empire Strikes Back. He had a big battle at the beginning. He had a fight that wasn't going to go well for the he- uh, hero. And the rest was character work. And that could be important. So there's some great character work in this episode. What is this episode known for? What's it remembered for? I think there's a couple things that jump on out Start at the ending, 
Uh, watch, we'll, we'll work our way to the ending there. The Joffrey Tywin scene is uh, what I have in mind when I think about this episode a lot. It, it, it's both about Tywin having this true power, great scene, and how we all kind of, I think, oddly rooted for Tywin here in this moment over Joffrey. We hate Joffrey. I think is with the rise of Ramsay, the the fervor around season seven and season eight with some of the things that the, the show did that people didn't like, um, I think it's sometimes forgotten that Joffrey was, at one point, one of the most hated characters in the world. And poor Jack Gleason had to sometimes bury the brunt of that because people can't separate actors from the characters they portray. Um, Joffrey was hated, right? It's it's easy to look back and think almost 10 years ago, this is about eight years ago, and, and think, oh, that's right, yeah, we all, we all wanted him to die. So here's Tywin, by this point, not a good dude. I like him. A lot of people like him, but we like him because eh, sometimes you look at the villain and go, eh, maybe he's right, but he's still got to get uh, get what's uh, coming to him. And this scene, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, of course, but I think people were rooting for Tywin, which put us all in a weird spot. It's Tywin versus Joffrey. But then you look back and uh, some of the stuff Joffrey was saying in this particular scene, I don't know, might, might mean he was uh, actually right. Uh, so people remember that. Uh, a lot of uh, this episode is remembered for uh, Danny going to Yunkai and decides she's going to use her power and position and her purpose for good. And I think that's pretty big. It is a smaller scene in the episode. It's a great scene. But I think if you're looking towards what happens to Danny, I believe a lot of what happens to her are things that the world does to her. And this is, I love this scene, the Yunkai scene. Um, and I love connecting it to season eight, love connecting it to the bells, uh, love thinking to back to this moment of what Danny felt she was called to do with her position of power, challenged as it was, and how it was received all along the way. So we'll come back to that. Uh, Theon's emasculation scene. Ah, the old choppy chop. Aye, aye, aye. So I do like Miranda's arrival to the story. We have a fan comment about that later. Uh, it's another character. Charlotte Hope comes in. It's another one-off. Don't, uh, but I got to tell you, I don't love this scene. Uh, it's one of the early trademark GOT scenes. Uh, that's a little bit sex position, sex position. I absolutely buy the intent of the scene. I think uh, Ramsey Bolton is a is a frightening character. Chilling scene. This scene's been described as chilling, but you got the the two girls coming in and um, just gratuitous, uh, you know, and uh, getting Theon primed for this chopping. Again, I get the intent of the scene. A lot of the complaints, other than just the the, the gratuitous nudity, perhaps, uh, was that it just kind of was repetitive. And I get that. And this is, this was uh, one of the first big challenges of the show. We've been discussing all season three long. In the books, we know there's this character, Reek. You don't know what's going on. You don't know who's torturing him. There's just, there's just questions. And it's uh, the big reveal later on is, is, is heartbreaking, but also it's, it's, it's this journey that's confusing at times. It's, and it's, it's kind of special. The book experience with Reek is, is different. It's unique. Show you can't. Alfie Allen's face is on the screen right from the beginning here in season three. So you got to kind of stretch it out a bit and you got to kind of keep it uh, running alongside the other plot points. I think it's important stuff. I think this particular scene makes me feel for Theon even more in season seven, eight and, and, and later in the show. 
uh, the season, the scene has to happen. It's a, it's, it's a big important scene just in terms of an, another moment where Game of Thrones takes the thing that is a part of that person's identity, what they uh, use to identify themselves. And for Theon, quite frankly, it is his, uh, uh, his, uh, <laughs> prowess and, what he felt that made him and what that uh, felt he had a right to. And it's not all good things here. Uh, this was a complete breaking down of, of Theon uh, as a character. So it's important. I just, um, the scene itself uh, doesn't work for me. And that's just the the way it is for me there. Final one that I think uh, this episode is known for, of course, as I said before, this is Jamie saving Brienne. Uh, and looking back, and I think it's a, I think it's a great ending. I really do. I really do. But it's interesting to remember that the public kind of there was. This is in the the lighter days of Twitter. The public kind of jumped online right after and made fun of this for being the Anchorman ending. And it's hard not to see that if you've all seen the Will Ferrell comedy Anchorman. This is quite frankly, literally how it ends. Um, this was already in existence before, so you could accuse Anchorman of doing the Song of Ice and Fire ending, I suppose. But uh, this, as it played out on screen, did lose a little bit of the impact. It did for me. I, now, I like it. Years later, I don't sit there and connect it to Anchorman over and over and over again. But at the time, I kind of thought, oh, wow, well, we just like almost kind of just recently saw this in Anchorman. Sure enough, the public kind of picked up on that, and I thought undercut uh, what was a uh, powerful moment and a powerful decision for Jamie Lannister. But... People remember it, good or bad, that's what it's known for. Looking at uh, the impact on the story, uh, big things that move us forward. Looking back, fun to see that, uh, well, not fun. Uh, Well, I will start with a fun one. Uh, The greatest sitcom begins. The Hound kidnaps Arya. Um, Arya and and the Hound, their adventures. We all kind of wanted that spinoff show within the show. We could have just done season four. And then on Sundays and maybe after, um, which what used to be what Veep or so used to be after Game of Thrones or wasn't no, Veep was before. Can't remember the HBO Sunday night lineup. And then if they had just done an episode of Game of Thrones and then a half hour episode of The Hound and Arya show, we all would have been on board. That starts in this episode here. Important stuff though, because Arya can't quite get home. The frustration that she's going to feel uh, as she goes across the land, and we're going to get some uh, great stuff with. Uh, Arya the Hound very soon here, but it all leads to um, their part or not uh, participate, un, uh, not participating in the Red Wedding, thankfully. But it, Arya can't get home. She can't get home. She can't get home for an, the entire time until she decides to go home and then finds out that ain't home. Uh, it is uh, uh, an important journey for Arya that really starts to kick up into high gear in this episode. A brief little moment. Uh, I love uh, the moment where we finally get more on Osha and her backstory, talking about her husband, Bruni. He's a good man, and I was his, and he was mine. And the chilling tale of the White Walkers, that carries uh, carries a lot more meaning as the show builds on. Uh, I remember at this point, going back in time, uh, where, you know, we started the show with the White Walkers. So it was first that opening, uh, cold open of the show, the entire show. Pulled me in. I was terrified of these White Walkers. What's going on? The stuff in season two with Jon Snow. Then the the battle, um, the battle of the Fist of the First Men. And it's it's weird though. The show kind of was did a great job of just kind of putting that all in the background, right? Where it was talked about. We knew North of the Wall is not where you wanted to be, but it was still about 
wildings and the free folk, uh, how you view them versus the north and brands just trying to get north of the wall. I love this moment for getting finally getting more in OSHA where she's not just this support character. Yeah, she, she is there to serve the story of Bran without a doubt. Um, but we get, uh, get, know, get to know her, get to know why she did this, get to know why there's a chill in her soul with some of the great lines she says earlier in the show, tell your brother he's marching the wrong way. I think about that one a lot with this episode. I love this little scene, love the reveal that we get to spend this time uh, with OSHA. Again, character stuff, a lot of character stuff that has... Bigger meaning. And as by season four, where we kind of get the Night King, season five, hard home, boom, then we're ready. We're, the threat is real, but the threat takes on a little bit more uh, chilling importance when you hear Osha talk about it now, why she doesn't want to go north, which makes her, in the end, her decision to stick with them uh, as long as she can, I think, even more powerful. Uh, the impact on the story, again, we got uh, the reveal that Talisa is pregnant, and that sets us up for some real pain. Again, not... Uh, not in the books. This is in the show, and this is painful. This is a good, it's a good job. I enjoy the addition of Talisa. I enjoy the addition of Talisa being uh, pregnant because it is, um, it's, it's painful. It makes that red wedding, it, 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 how you could even make it worse, this somehow finds a way to make it worse. Uh, so we get that in this episode here. Uh, and then uh, Jamie makes a big decision about loyalty. We're going to talk about loyalty being this thing kind of all through the episode. Um, and I think we've been going through this journey along with Jamie, right? About who he is and how from season one, episode one, we're rooting against this uh, chiseled chin prince and we don't like him and he's a Disney villain and it slowly starts to unravel in true Game of Thrones form. And we get the bathtub scene, the, some of the conversations, some of the things he's attempted to do to save Brienne. But this is the episode. Jamie makes a decision to turn around, makes a decision to not leave her behind, realizes that even the words he said about the sapphires to Locke earlier in the season are now going to come back and get her um, killed, uh, get her uh, prior to that beaten, destroyed, raped. It's not going to be good, and Jamie can't let that happen. And he turns back to save her out of loyalty, out of an oath, and out of perhaps even... Dare we say, Jamie, the kindness of your heart. And we like Jamie. And that's one of the things this impact, this impacts the story. But I always like to include the impact on us. And I think as an audience, when, when, when the credits roll and the bear of the Maiden Fair starts playing with what uh, it's a hold steady doing that, uh, Craig Finn and the hold steady. I uh, I think that is. Someone maybe double-check. We'll double-check on that there. I, there's a lot of great bands that uh, pop up in uh, the show. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think I think with, as the show goes to um, credits, I, you know, I personally was just like, I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm doing it. I think I'm rooting for Jamie Lannister. So definitely an impact on us and definitely an impact on the story. Uh, the final one, I want to go back to Daenerys meeting with uh, Razdal Moraz in uh, Yunkai. Um, great scene. And we're tracking, we've been tracking all along Danny and the emotional kind of path, the groundwork they're, they're laying in front of her and us as an audience. We always go to Tyrion saying, you know, she, she, we cheered her all along as she burned these evil men. Uh, she has gotten the army. We've, we're still in the afterglow of her freeing the unsullied. We've had some great moments on the road 
up to uh, Yunkai, sliding them out of Astapor. We are so behind her in this scene, and you should be behind her. And that's what I've always said about the journey of Daenerys Targaryen. We should be rooting her on, right? Burning all these horrible men. But how you fight is a big question. It's one of the big questions we always uh, ruminate on in Star Wars. How you fight means more than just simply winning the fight. Now, Bronn would not ar- would argue against that. Um, even Jorah would argue against that. And the show challenges you on that. It wants to. There's no easy answers here. There's no easy answers for me as a viewer. There's no me- easy answers for me to get behind as a Game of Thrones commentator, a pundit, whatever you want to call it. I love the journey of Danny because of not what happens, but because of what it hopefully can teach us. And I talked about the connection to the Bells moments. Uh, I've talked about it a lot because that's a big moment, a big moment that people have problems with, an episode people have problems with, and, and part of the decision people have problems with. I'm never here. By the way, if you're just kind of sliding through and you're like, who's this, uh, who's this uh, jerk talking about this, trying to convince me? I'm not here to any ever convince anyone to like an episode, a character, a moment, um, a season, or the show, if you don't. There's, there's there's always going to be what ifs and always things they could have done. And there's little things along the way. I talked to a friend recently was like, I actually love season eight. I love the ending. I just don't like how we got to some of those big moments. And I think that's fair. And I think Betty Alpha Weiss and their entire team would look at it and be honest and be like, yeah, they, we, yeah, we'd probably start doing things different along the way here. And if you get to the end of that journey and then you get to go back and do it again, they'd probably do it a different along the way. I want to reach, I'll re-record the first 20 minutes of the show. Uh, we, we as creators always look back and go, hey, there's different ways to do it. You make a choice in the moment and you see where that takes you. And I think they make some powerful choices with Danny. And uh, in this moment, um, Danny has, she's acquiring, I don't say has all the power. She's acquiring power. She has these growing dragons. Not ready yet, but they're real and they're spectacular. She has this army. Doesn't have the all the numbers, but she has an army. She doesn't have the ships to get them to where she needs to go. And she is on this journey. She has come racing out of Astapor, freeing slaves, freeing this army. They're fighting with her willingly. She's burned horrible men, all in the name of the Iron Throne, her destiny, what she feels. Destiny is just something that takes you to the next choice. That's how I feel about it. This is her next choice. She comes to Yunkai. They're not going to play ball. Talk a little bit later on about some of the themes I feel that are in the show about sex and politics and uh, gender and politics. Um, but in this moment, I think Danny realizes I do have power. I do have this purpose. And up until now, my the purpose was for me to get to the Iron Throne. But I think I can do something more with my power. Jorah wants her to kind of stand down. You're, you're, these, these wise masters are not going to work with you here. Leave the city. There's no reason to no reason to save the city. And she says, how many slaves are there? Eh, 200,000. And there's 200,000 reasons to save the city. That's tremendously noble, right? That is w- said with great purpose. Danny believes, and uh, she is that color. The breaker of chains is not just some title to pump up her ego. It's, it's something that's in her heart. It's something that's in her soul. And I believe in this moment, she decides if I'm going to sit on the Iron Throne. Now later, Marine, she learns if I'm going to sit on the Iron Throne, I need to learn how to be a little maybe of a better leader. 
That's a different uh, struggle. And Danny makes mistakes along the way. Can't wait to discuss that. But I think here in this moment, she's she's got some victories under her belt here. Not unlike Rob. And, but I think I I think she really gets it. I am putting this put in this position to not just race towards the Iron Throne and sit on it and rule. I can use that goal. I can use that purpose. I can use my growing power to help people because that's what I want to do. I'm going to wipe out these horrible men and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to put dragons in front of their faces. If they don't want to go along with my plan, I will burn them down because I want to help the people. So when eventually what starts happening is those very people start Start rejecting her as a leader, as a savior. She's not Misa anymore to all the people. I think that starts the the, the, the tweaking of her soul, the tweaking of her mind, and um, the way she's treated later on, the way she's treated by the land, the way she's um, overlooked as a woman. There's a lot of things that I think start happening to her that start chipping away at the Danny we see in this episode. At the Danny sitting there, yeah, she's got some ego, yeah. She's got some dragons. I'd be cocky too. Throwing meat in the air. You want a gift? I'll give you a gift. Your life. Because I'll kill you if you don't go along with me. And we're cheering because we should be. Because she wants to free 200,000 slaves. She wants to free this city. She wants to free this city. But um, I think this Danny is the one that would look at what Danny did later on and be like, yeah, I almost get it because I was, look what I was trying to do and look what they're rejecting. And now it's just about everything I want is, is everything that I be- believe belongs to me. I can't get to because these people rejected me. And I think of this Danny going into Yunkai, not Danny coming out of Astapor, uh, not definitely not Danny in Astapor. She needed an army. She needed. Uh, we knew it's one of the themes of the of the first episode of of everyone kind of tru- declaring what they truly need and what they truly want. Sometimes those are different things. Uh, Danny needs an army. She needs to get the Iron Throne. This is the episode where it starts to change. It's not just about the Iron Throne. It's about how I can use my power to help others. And um, it's a good Danny. And we should be rooting for this Danny. I am rooting for this Danny. I love going through those moments that uh, have uh, foreshadowing, maybe things with more meaning. And uh, I talked about Joffrey. Go into that scene a little bit uh, here on the show. But, man, Joffrey, I hate to admit it. I'm not rooting for the Lannisters. We talk about the bells. We talk about what Danny does when she gets on the shores of Westeros. Robert Baratheon was kind of right back in the day. And here's Joffrey. Like father, like son. If you're listening on the podcast, yes, I did do air quotes around the sun. Uh, this is uh, all about Joffrey's accidental warnings about Danny. I don't think Joffrey's particularly smart or insightful. But if you listen to everything he's saying here, He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I, I'm rooting for Danny, but Joffrey's not wrong. Uh, foreshadowing again, I think I'll, I'll go back to the Danny one really quick. This is a power play, uh, and this is another example of uh, when something is between Danny and her goals, she resorts to dragons and violence. So I love this question she says there. She asks, what happens to things that don't bend? I don't even know if that's a question. That just might be a wink statement. You break them. You make them bend. You burn them to the ground. So a little foreshadowing here. Again, we're rooting for her, and we should be. Uh, maybe our problem isn't with Danny and her decision. Our problem might be with the people of the land who later on rejected her. 
Uh, Shay and Shay's fault mentioned how much, uh, you know, uh, George did love uh, uh, Sybil Kakeli's uh, performance and what she, the life she brought to this character. We know where we got to go. The, the, the creators of the show know where they need to take Shay, but how do you take it from just a, you know, uh, kind of a in the background sex worker character and how do you actually make her uh, this living, breathing character? I, I do think they succeed. I, I think Shay's one of the, the better uh, adaptations from book to show. Uh, and this scene is, is painful to watch. This is her fall. She always, uh, Tyrion tells her, you always be my lady. Man, you look at uh, what happens and this is one of those moments. And then, like I said, um, uh, I was so caught up on being worried about Jorah dying in this episode and so thought Rob Stark was going to save the day and go to Casterly Rock and uh, destroy the Lannisters' uh, homeland and take it for himself there and uh, turn the town of the war. So certain, because of course he's going to get revenge for Ned, right? Right? Uh, that I missed, uh, you know, Riss Bolton traveling to the Twins, the whole Jamie Lannister conversation, the Lannisters send the regards. I just went, oh, yeah, yeah, Jamie is kind of being a little, a little prickish. Yeah, that's Jamie. Even if, even if I like him, you know, he's kind of, that's what he is. And Roos, I don't know about Roos anyway. Uh, now this means everything. So I uh, love going back and just revisiting that. Even though I've rewatched this show, we watched these episodes so many times, I still love reliving just me personally, me overlooking Roos as a just complete a-hole. Uh, love Brienne invoking oaths, wants Jamie to keep his word. That's big. You look back now, it's just such a part of Brienne's character. Um, love, too, that we get a great, some great moments with um, John and Egret at that mill. That's the scene of their, uh, shall we say, I don't know, first breakup. Uh, and I love that uh, they got that little hunting scene. And uh, Egret doesn't miss the deer with her bow and arrow. She's a dead shot. And John says, there's no way you can hit it. And they, you hit it. It's too far. She gives him the look, and then you cut to uh, them carrying the, the body of the, the, the slain deer. Um, so when she misses John later, doesn't hit him uh, square in the chest at close range. We know. Um, we know it was uh, either she completely, totally meant to do that or just was so heartbroken she couldn't couldn't do it. So I love that, uh, this setting us up for that moment later. Uh, love... This little one, I, I don't think I really uh, truly thought about it until this rewatch moment. Uh, this is uh, one of my, uh, my second rewatch since season eight ended here. But uh, Kyburn, who we, we love, we love Kyburn around these parts. Anton Lesser is just so good, so creepy. Um, love everything with him and what he does with this, uh, this uh, character. I can't even say just horrible character. Like, there's just, he's just Kyburn. He's, I, yeah. Was he wronged by the Citadel? I don't know. Was he kicked out for doing experiments that could have helped people later on? Or was he just really kind of a creepy dark wizard, a wannabe dark wizard? I don't know. Uh, but I love him having the conversation with Jamie and asking uh, you know, about uh, how many people's lives you've saved when Kyburn's talking about his, his research and, and his um, experiments. Uh, I love that Jamie says, uh, ah, you know, I saved about 500 thousand people in King's Landing and I know there's been some chat on you know Game of Thrones uh, wikis and forums about that number maybe not being completely accurate whatever we all get it but I love that Kyburn is hearing about Jamie saving King's Landing from being blown up by wildfire and Kyburn's um, willingness to uh, help Cersei with some of that later on about uh, the rumors are true and then what happens in season six. So just love that little moment there. Uh, we always love taking your questions or tweets, comments. You can do that by following me on Twitter at CatNapsock. Don't forget to follow Good People GPA and use the hashtag Casterly 
talk. Uh, I can bring it up here. I got to redo this lower third if you're watching on the uh, the old uh, YouTube there. Uh, hashtag Casterly Talk. If you'd like to uh, get ahead, uh, sometimes I uh, bank these rewatch episodes. Uh, um, just uh, let me know the number of the episode you're commenting about. Uh, but we have our good pal Eric Monroe. Eric Monroe, a longtime listener when this show was uh, on Anchor, when this show was Daily Thrones. Uh, Eric's uh, been around since the beginning. We love hearing from Eric. And he writes uh, this thing about uh, the big moment with Ramsey and Theon, saying Ramsey giving Theon one last taste of what he loves most and then taking away from him forever was a punishment, even worse than death for Theon. True. The actress who played Miranda said this was supposed to be a one-off episode gig, but they asked her back. Yeah, Charlotte Hope. Hope plays Miranda, and she becomes a good little side villain uh, with Ramsey. Uh, and uh, I love that. I love hearing that uh, when a, a show can, you know, when people talk about, too, about plans and planning out trilogies with space wizards and following the book to the T, that, that's, that's great in theory. And there's some things to do, you know, to make that. So um, I love that the creators can, can find a character and like what a performer brings to it. And just uh, continue to do some more with that character and get great moments later on. So, uh, Charlotte Hope, cheers to you and uh, your performance as Miranda. Let's go into the themes and lessons of this episode. Uh, this is why I love having these discussions and looking at these episodes uh, piece uh, by piece and episode by episode. Um. There aren't um, as many prevalent themes in this episode. Again, this is um, this is an episode that uh, needs to. It, it's a character study, and it's uh, getting people into some positions. But uh, in doing so, and and sometimes you know, that's what you have to do. You need to have it make sense, and you you were able to kind of slow down and have some great character moments, um, and uh, that makes some of the losses or even some of the victories later mean that much more. So. Couple, uh, the big one that I, uh, it's kind of clearly stated is uh, loyalty. Uh, we got that great moment up top. We got some uh, John and Egret stuff. And I do love um, uh, talking about favorite lines and scenes, as we often do here. I love Egret, always teasing John, always mocking him, always kind of poking him inside. That's the kind of relation that they have when she's talking about the armies and why do you have a drummer? Why do you, and you, you know, keep, uh, keep the rhythm for the soldiers and she, the whole left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Love the moment. It's, it's cute. It's endearing. There's a lot to that there. And you have the interaction with or Orel and, uh, John and John's a little upset as you know, you, I, you cut me off that wall. I know what you did. And Orel says, I cut her loose too. You don't see her sulking about it. That's because she knows the way things are to which John, Early on, this is again season three. Still, kind of early on in his arc. All right, well, tell me what how, tell me what things are. I love what Oral Oral uh, says to him. Pe- people work together when it suits them. They're loyal when it suits them. They love each other when it suits them, and they kill each other when it suits them. She knows this. You don't, which is why you'll never hold on to her. Hard truth. There, we love that the show often. Um, gives uh, some hard truths to people, whether they want to face them or not. So there's something here in the uh, journey of John. Uh, again, I love season three, what season three does to John. It picks up on season two with Egret changing his perspective. And I think season three changes or starts to change John's goal 
that conversation with Mance about, oh, you want to be a hero? And John still is believing here, and I still think he's holding to the uh, to the corn half hand plan of attack, join, infiltrate, uh, and uh, help us de- defeat from within. Um, so I still think John's doing that uh, and, and, and conflicted at best because uh, of what Egret has um, kind of introduced to his life. Change of perspective. And I think, again, change of goal. And this is, a, I consider this a bit of a key moment. It's a, it's a lower key moment for John. But everything Orel's saying here uh, plays out in this episode. I think there's different uh, uh, versions of loyalty. Roos's loyalty clearly slides when it helps him. Walter Frey's loyalty slides when it helps him. I think Jamie's loyalty is true. I think it's a, a powerful decision, but we know even later on his loyalties are frayed, his loyalties are tried and, and tested, and sometimes he makes decisions that would go against the loyalty here. And uh, Danny is uh, going around gaining loyalty of uh, many people, and, and she'll experience great loss and uh, um, uh, just, uh, you know, let loyalty not mean as much uh, when other people... Uh, um, either take actions or their past actions come to light. So there's a, it's a big theme, loyalty, and what it means in this land. Uh, and um, I think Aurel's, uh, for right or wrong, uh, I think he's right, for good or bad. Uh, the other big themes in this episode I love, and again, it's not just the themes in the show, it's what the show's telling us, but it's telling about the characters and the little lessons it can give for us all. That's the staying power of these type of shows. Uh, dreams and Perspectives Shattered. John and Egret, and the truth about each other. When he tells her, if you attack the wall, you'll die. All of us. She comes back with all of us. Because he's in the you, not us type of mentality. It slips a little bit here. And I think this dream that Egret has, this uh, tra-la-la-la-la castle dream that Egret uh, has deep down inside, um, I think she wants to attack the, the, the wall. She wants to attack Castle Black. Absolutely. She's not... Um, Going against that, uh, she's free folk to the core. But the idea of staying in that cave and that life she wants to lead with John, uh, it's its shattered in this moment. She just hasn't faced it yet, uh, I, I think. Uh, so we go into, we have Sansa's dreams of a fairy tale life being shattered. Shay and her dreams of life with Tyrion are shattered. Gendry loses his true identity. So we've got, um, or learns, not loses, learns of his true identity, which means we've got. You know, Sansa, it's a tragedy. It's her fairy tale dream was shattered long ago, but now it, it's just it, she can't deny it anymore. And the whole the Tyrion wedding and and Baelish has sailed away, and that's what she's kind of talking about here with Marjorie. She just feels like a stupid girl. She just wanted to come to this land and be a happy little princess and maybe a happy little queen, and that's all gone. So she's having to face that. Shay kind of knew the lay of the land again. Is it is is, is it right? No, how the how the world views her. How they viewed uh, Roz? No, but uh, she's a, a sex worker in King's Landing. Her life, her dream of um, whatever she felt was going to happen with Tyrion, completely shattered. He offers her maybe another kind of life. I'll fund you on the side. I'll see you when I see you. If you have a kid, they'll be well cared for. And that it's just all uh, shattered. So uh, a lot of what later on happens with Shay, it's just the, the cracks are just going through that foundation here. Uh, but going to Gendry, uh, we've got the little side stuff going on with Melisandre. 
Uh, some and I've I've got a track when Melisandre goes up and gets uh, uh, Gendry with the Brotherhood, and now they're sailing through Blackwater Bay. It's uh, you know the show sometimes jumps characters around. Someone tracked their journey for me. There's actual specific journey. Uh, but yes, uh, she's trying to get to, to Dragonstone. This I know. Um, but uh, they great scene. They they sail past um, um, sail past uh, the castle there, the, the Red Keep. And Gendry learns his true identity. Your blood is noble, Melisandre said. And, and, and his dreams of whatever life he wanted with the Brotherhood or uh, what he felt, his perspective completely gone and shattered. And what I love about this, and there's other examples throughout the show of this happening, um, um, Arya's, Arya's dreams of uh, heroes and who's honorable is being shattered and continuing to be shattered by the Brotherhood, who I think are, once again, kind of proving this. I think they do have loyalty. I think they have pure intentions or good intentions. I wouldn't call them per, um, uh, call them um, uh, per, per pure of heart, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, their loyalties shift and, and move as they need. Um, so yeah, it's um, a lot of lot of perspectives shattered, a lot of dreams being destroyed. But it's about what you do with it, and that's what I my thought on destiny. Um, Arya is constantly having the goalposts move. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to learn? What's it going to take you? And where's your journey going to go? How are you going to react to this? Sansa is someone, I go to this moment with Marjorie. Sansa is finally starting to acknowledge it. She's got a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of pain and misery and lessons to still come. But um, this is one of those moments where I look at Sansa and I think she's acknowledging. She's acknowledging the dreams have been shattered. How do I go on? Where do I go? And she's still, you know, a pawn in a lot of people's games. She'll eventually take that power for herself. But I, I look back in this episode and, again, talk about character moments. I think it's an underrated Sansa moment for facing them. One of the other big themes in here as we uh, start to wrap up the discussion on the show today is the politics of sex. I was trying to connect it, trying to see. And sometimes I'd, that's what I love about looking at these shows and seeing what's there for you. What is a connective thread? It's, it's amazing sometimes you start watching these episodes about what is there, what is the show trying to tell me? And there's a lot of politics of sex. I thought it was, it was interesting. There's, there's um, the show and the sex position that kind of made the show a little infamous and famous early on does start to fade. The sex doesn't disappear, but it's not as gratuitous later on. Um, you could argue maybe some individual moments, and there's some definitely some problematic moments later on, to be clear. But uh, the season one, season two vibe into season three, it does start to change. But this episode has, has a lot to talk about sex. Uh, it's written by George R. R. Martin, and, you know, he's written some things that sometimes you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay, George. Uh, but it's got Michelle McLaren directing it, so... Uh, I'm like, what is she, as a director, what was she putting in here? And um, I just, I, I call it the politics of sex, but it's it speaks a lot about the gender equality in this world, a lot of about what these characters are uh, in, in our own world, too, should, to be clear. That's what all, all good uh, art and uh, um, uh, creative projects sh- should be commenting on. It's uh, easy to, to think of it just Westeros, but it's definitely about our world around us. And this episode starts with, we got John and Egret in love and they're, you know, flirting and Orel's grumpy about it and he's an insole and it's just, you know, it's a lot of things going on. Uh, but they cut to that. It's a funny moment because it's Tormund's giant, Tormund Giants Bane is hilarious, but he's talking to John about how other men uh, have sex and it's all rough and from behind and then, oof, oof, and it's a classic Tormund moment there. And John's kind of blushing, looking at Egret. It's, it's a, 
it's a it can be a, considered a one-off moment, but it really is about uh, what how men view uh, women in this land as these uh, things to conquest and as these pieces on the on the on the map. And it, there's a lot of about well, Game of Thrones about these these female characters have to rise and uh, rise uh, try to rise above it, and sometimes they do, and sometimes uh, they lose themselves in the process, which I, I contend I wouldn't call that their fault. But you still have choices along the way. So when your dreams are shattered, how do you move on forward? I don't know. Smarter folks than me can figure that all out. But I love that this this. From that Tormund moment up top all the way through, you you start kind of seeing it uh, uh, sex as uh, identity, sex as um, power, um, sex as uh, politics as the land. Because got the great uh, conversation with Marjorie and Sansa, which goes into their the, 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 the walking conversation when Sansa kind of in a lighter moment realizes – all right, even if I accept this thing that I have to marry uh, Tyrion, oh my gosh, we'll have children, which means I have to, eh, and I don't really, you know, and he, people look down on him in society, and, and it wasn't, again, Sansa's not her dashing uh, prince dream that she probably had as a, as a young uh, woman, and Marjorie handles it so well, in control, playing the game as she is, but just also protecting Sansa as well. I think there's an actual um, uh, love and respect and care between them um, from Marjorie to Sansa and vice versa. But it's a great scene with Marjorie. Now, Marjorie and her um, maidenhood is something that I don't want to say it's a running joke, but it's, it comes up a lot during the show where, uh, you know, Renly defends her and a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's a virgin, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Joffrey brings it up with, uh, you know, you didn't consummate with Renly and and it comes up a lot, but this is my favorite one with uh, uh, Marjorie goes on this uh, great, great conversation, this great moment where that has this great line. Most women don't know what they like until they've tried it. And unfortunately, so few of us get to try things. And uh, Sansa turns to her and says, how do you how do you know so much? Did your mother teach you? And uh, Marjorie says with a smile. Yes, sweet girl. My mother taught me. Um, but I love what it says about Marjorie, her views of the world, trying to rise above this, trying to switch the, the, the power dynamic around, um, at best make it equal, but maybe flip it completely on its head and coupling that with the Tormund moment. Most men just do this. And here's Marjorie going, most women don't get to experience and find out what we like. We just have to take what's given in this horrible land, this horrible situation, which goes immediately into, we got Sansa going, ooh, I'm, I'm too young and Tyrion, no, 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 I don't know about this going to Bronn, who I love Bronn, but you know, Bronn's a scoundrel and Bronn and Tyrion talking about Sansa and it's an un- uncomfortable conversation. She is too young. This is, this is, this is it, it should make you feel a little icky, but here's Tyrion trying to deny, trying to deny that he even finds her attractive, trying to deny the situation while Braun puts those evil thoughts in his head. Funny little scene because I love their interactions, but again, it's playing with the politics of the sex. Um, men are considered in control. Women, women like I said, pieces to, to move and take and conquest, and Danny kind of runs up against that in Yunkai. I think it's a part of what she feels. Um, I, I think she sits down in, in Yunkai and, and here comes uh, good old uh, Razdal Moiraz and he goes to meet her and he's got the pomp and circumstance and the gold and he's ready to kind of just uh, flex his uh, muscles as he probably has. He, you know, hey, many armies have tried to take this city and many army, armies have uh, have fallen before our gates and going to be no different for you, little girl. And I think that's uh, also part of what Danny feels here. She felt it in, uh, she felt it 
all along the way, arranged marriage, uh, taken against her will, all these kind of things. But uh, now here in this moment, she feels the tables are turning. That wheel is turning, and she wants to break it, as we know. But uh, that's, again, part of what I think she doubles down on here in this scene. And then finally, Theon loses what was once his uh, only identity. And that shouldn't have been the case with Theon, but that's what he was, right? Jamie loses his uh, sword fighting hand. Theon loses his beep, and you know what? That's everything Theon thought he was, everything he tied his identity to. His um, his uh, absolute life and dreams and, and perspectives have been shattered here, but now he feels, um, among other things, because it's, it's torturous and all the bad things, but it's like, who is he? He's nothing in this land. Even later on, Balon Greyjoy, his own father, upon finding out this, this information, will say he's no son of mine. Um Theon's lost everything. He's lost power. And this entire episode just continues to lay that out. The power of uh, the sex dynamic and the sex arrangement and the politics of sex in this land and the gender, gender inequality in this land. Um, it's all rolled out in front of us. And, and here's uh, this big moment here with Theon just losing, losing his place in that uh, dynamic and uh, structure there. So... That's uh, some of the big themes for me. Talked about the favorite scenes and uh, moments. Uh, I uh, we uh, love little lines of uh, when Egret uh, when talking about wearing a pretty silk dress, and uh, John kind of uh, you know flirts with her. I'll rip your your dress right off. Yeah, and she, well, you rip my pretty silk dress. I'll blacken your eye. Just love uh, Egret there. Uh, Razdal, going back to Razdal, uh, more Raz. Uh, if blood is your desire, then blood shall flow. Um, there speaks to how you want to fight, how you want to handle this. You're going to get what you get. You're going to get, yeah, get what you give. Um, great new radicals line, right? You only get what you, okay, I'll stop singing. Uh, but I love that Razdell, I don't love it, but I, I, I love it as a, as a moment in the show. I don't love him, but Razdell saying, you are mad. And Danny is the mad queen. I'm not saying this is a complete like foreshadowing thing, but that's something that's, that's already being said to her, already being proclaimed, you are mad, the mad queen. And uh, that's going to start getting in her head there. Um, the Tywin and Joffrey scene is the, the scene to highlight. It is the uh, episode of, uh, the scene of the episode for me. Now, I love the bear pit stuff. Again, I think it's big for Jamie. I think it's important. It's a great way to end this episode that is um, a little bit at times over the all over the place. A little bit at times character study. The Talisa Robb scene is, uh, and you watch... Many often wise talk about the that episode or that that scene in the episode. Um, it's a character moment. It, it, they know it doesn't necessarily move any plot forward, and and I don't. I personally don't need every scene to do that. Uh, as a fan, I love to spend the time with these characters, and and this is a moment for Rob and Talisa, which also means the loss is so much greater later. Uh, but the Tywin and Joffrey scene, it's pretty simple in terms of who's ruling the land. This we get, but Charles Dance. Jack Leeson, just a masterclass. It is a scene I love rewatching over and over again. You are being counseled at this very moment. Love everything about it. Yeah, we can get into Joffrey might have been right. Tywin might have been just a little on his high horse there. Um, but you're absolutely rooting for Tywin, which is a pretty that's a pretty impressive task uh, to, to, to accomplish. Uh, and Charles Dance finds it. Um, he's, he's, he's right in this moment to control him, even though Joffrey might be right about some of the information. But then again, I don't want Tywin to agree because then they're off trying to kill Danny again. But I love the scene. It is, uh, it's what, one of the reasons this episode is remembered and why this season is remembered. So uh, tip of the cap to Jack Leeson and Charles Dance for 
an amazing scene. We always like to highlight some episode stars as well, other than those two. Uh, Natalia Tana as Osha. This is kind of her big moment. She's got some great moments all through her time on the show. When she comes back, it's 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 short and uh, tragic, but this is one of those great moments. You really got to experience uh, uh, some truth, uh, some point of view, some perspective on the character. Um, the, the the sad story of her husband having to kill or try to stab uh, her husband, which was not a, a white and and had no effect. And that's why she's running, and that's why she doesn't want to go back. It just adds a little depth to the character, and I think it really works as a as a Emmy winning kind of a monologue, uh, which every actor wants. And the other, the big star of the episode, Bart the Bear, he did great. Bart the Bear, good job. There's been a lot of Bart the Bears in Hollywood over time, but you won Game of Thrones. Love that they had to, they had to shoot that scene in Los Angeles, recreate everything, shoot it in Los Angeles because yeah, you, hard to get a. Bear out. Hard to get the clearances and paperwork for flying a bear out to uh, uh, Belfast or any place of the world where you're going to shoot. All right, that is it. That is our look at Season 3, Episode 7 of Game of Thrones. And, yep, you know what that means. We are going to uh, Season 3, Episode 8, Second Sons. Got some big stuff coming up, including one of the more heartbreaking moments for my Jorah Mormont. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you uh, know where to find me. I, at Ken Napsock. Use the hashtag CasterlyTalk. I want to hear your thoughts. Your, uh, you know, your first reactions back in the day to maybe how the episode is, is better for you now. Or a moment you love now that you look at from this point, eight seasons of the show done. And now it carries more meaning to you. Or maybe something you didn't like. We can talk about that, too. Uh, thanks for listening here to Casually Talk. Subscribe. Find us where uh, you listen to your podcast. We are um, working with Blue Wire Podcast. We appreciate uh, their help in getting this podcast out. We're part of the Good People Association Network. Check out our YouTube channel. Follow us at Good People GPA. And, yeah, right now the Kickstarter's still going. So if you want to support Futilda, the actual game of living, or uh, change your pledge to up it to help us reach those stretch goals, or just tell someone about it, uh, you can find the uh, link in the description below on YouTube or just search on uh, Kickstarter under Futility. That is it for this time. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk. 